0: Matthew 7, 1-6 Do not judge, or you too will be judged For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged With the measure you used, it will be measured to you Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye And pay no attention to the plank in your own eye How can you say to your brother Let me take that speck out of your eye When all the time there is a plank in your own eye You hypocrite First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Um, I don't think there will be many people in this room that have not used that verse, do not judge. In fact, it is one of the most used verses by Christians and non-Christians alike. Do not judge. Who are you to judge me? You shouldn't be judging. It's an interesting, interesting verse. Anyone uh, read uh, Shakespeare's Measure for Measure? There's one person back there. <laughs> <I did. laughs> oh, many, many years ago. It's based on this verse, on this passage of Scripture. And for those of you who haven't read it, I'll give you a quick rundown of the story because it's absolutely amazing. For a heathen like William Shakespeare to come up with a very, very deeply spiritual representation of this passage. It's about this guy named Vicentio, who's the Duke of Vienna and he decides to go away on holiday. He, ta- he takes off, and he leaves the city in charge to his deputy, a guy named Angelo. But Vincencio, instead of leaving and going away, he hides himself. He dresses up as a friar and kind of goes into a little monastery and just wants to observe how things are going to happen now that Angelo is in charge. And Angelo is this very righteous man and he's not happy at the way maybe uh, things have been going on in Vienna and he especially has issue with the way uh, sexual immorality had kind of taken over the town so he immediately you know uh, arrests prostitutes closes the brothels down and then just goes on this very strong and spirited uh, attack on on these um, what's the word licentious behavior that's happening in his town He finds a guy named Claudio who has uh, fathered a child out of wedlock. And he has him arrested. And, And in the trial, which Angelo proceeds over, he says he must be sentenced to death for this sin. So poor old Claudio is sent to prison awaiting his death by beheading because he had fathered a child out of wedlock. But Claudio's sister is a woman named Isabella, she happens to be a nun. And so she goes to Angelo and says, Angelo, have mercy on my brother. Can you, uh, you know, can you please let him go? Forgive him for his sin. No, no, he needs to die. This is awful behavior. What can I do, Angelo? What, what, What can we do to save Claudio? Now, Angelo, he's got this little bit of a, a past, this little bit of a background, this little bit of a dark closet in his life. You see, he was betrothed. He was uh, supposed to marry another woman named Mariana. But her dowry got lost at sea. So she has no money now. And so he's held off that marriage. So this poor woman, because she's betrothed to him, he, she can't marry somebody else. And because she has now no dowry, she's poor. And so he's kept her at a distance. And so there's this little thing going on in the background of Angelo and it starts to come out in his interactions with Isabella. So Isabella, coming back time and again, finally Angelo starts to fall for Isabella. So he says to her, look, I'll let Claudio go if you sleep with me. And she's shocked. She's a nun. She's a virgin. Oh, no, 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 I can't do that. My vows to God, I can't do that at all. And he goes, well, if you don't, I'm going to kill Claudia. And this thing goes back and forth. And the friar in the background is trying to figure out how can he help Mariana? How can he help Isabella? So he's trying to deviate these plans and work it out. Now, in, ancient, in those times, ancient times, all the way up till about 150 years ago, the way you sealed a wedding a marriage was through sex, Right? It was very. It would be very awkward today the way they did it back then. But what happened was the husband and wife, they got married. They would go to a room and everybody else would be partying outside the room while they consummated the marriage. Then came out of the room and addressed to everybody, yes, it has been consummated. You imagine doing that today. Don't want to know about it. Don't want to know about it, right? Um, but that's the way they did it back then. And especially uh, the wealthier uh, families, I mean, because it didn't just mean a marriage between two people. It usually meant a marriage between two families or some sort of accord. So there had to be certainty that that the act was committed. So the good old friar, he says, he goes to, to Isabella. He says to Isabella, hey, Isabella, I need you to do this. Say to him, yes, I will sleep with you, but it must be completely dark. You can't see me. And she said, but I'm not going to sleep. No, 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 you're not going to sleep with him. I'm going to work this out. We're going to call it the bed switch. <laughs> so he gets Mariana into that room. And Angelo goes in thinking he's slept with Isabella, but he's actually slept with Mariana. So he's sealed his marriage vows with Mariana. But Angelo, after all of that, reminds you of a figure in the Bible he just decides that he's not going to hold his word to that. And he wants Claudio's head. So the friar in the background's going, oh no, what can we do? We're going to do a head switch. We've done the bed switch, now we're going to do the head switch. But they don't want to kill anybody. So how are they going to do this? So this old pirate that was in prison, he dies of a disease. But this guy has a very similar head to Claudio's. So they cut his head off and send it up to Angelo. And Angelo's happy... But Isabella doesn't know She thinks her brother has been executed Then lo and behold Along comes uh, the good old uh, Vincentio come back, Comes back as Duke And as he comes back and he, he sets himself up You know well done Angelo all this and that yeah, yeah. Mariana and Isabella come and Petition to him and say hey look This is what's happened And Angelo easily deflects Everything no 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 It's not true no no and then they, they kind of work out that they talk to them about these plots that are going on and so Angelo starts to think this friar is the one who's trying to beseech you know besmirch my name he's the one that's responsible for all this he needs to come and I need to in- interrogate him and he should be executed because he's the one misleading these two women so Vincentius says sure I'm going to leave it to you Angelo you go we'll get the guards to bring the friar back And you deal with him. I'm going to leave it to you. So he walks out. But as he walks out, he quickly changes back into the friar. And then he comes back into the room. And Angelo just lays into this friar. You are this. You are this. You are this. And right at the moment, he's about to pronounce, you know, you're going to be executed. The friar reveals himself for who he is. And Angelo just goes, white. It's a fascinating story. Like jesus who leaves his people to be his representation to the world but we then start judging people really harshly even though we can be just as bad as manipulative as sinful we judge others but not ourselves shakespeare did it such and and it's a comedy believe it or not (laughs) yeah i know (laughs) i've just given you the synopsis but it's a comedy but it's so poignant even for us today that this this picture of Vincentio could be Jesus who who leaves his disciples you know to to spread the good news and the gospel but for them only to get bogged down in accusing people of not being godly enough so what does that mean for us what does that mean you know, when we read this verse, does that mean we should never judge? Because this is the, we either go all the way one way or all the way the other way. What's Jesus trying to say here? Because you know how contradictory the Bible can be sometimes. He's telling us Jesus not to not to judge, but then here's Paul who says to us, "What business is it mine to judge those outside of the church?" Are you not to judge those inside? But Paul, Jesus said to us not to judge. God will judge those outside, expel the wicked person from among you. It's confusing, right? How do we Christians handle this? Jesus just said, don't judge, but he's telling us we should be judging. Uh, The message version puts it in a a little bit more uh, an English that we can understand. I'm not responsible for what the outsiders do, but don't we have some responsibility for those within our community of believers? God decides on the outsiders, but we need to decide when our brothers and sisters are out of line and, if necessary, clean house. <laughs> Very pragmatic way to put it, huh? How do we deal with this? It's confusing. N.T. Wright tries to address this, and he says this, he says, Jesus warns against judgment. He doesn't mean that we shouldn't have high standards of behavior for ourselves and the world, but the temptation to look down on each other for moral failures is itself a temptation to play God. And since we are not God, that means it's a temptation to play a part, to act. It is confusing, but that kind of makes sense. You know, you, you look at Paul when he says to us, uh, you can only judge those inside but then in Romans he says this you then why do you judge your brothers or sister or why do you treat them with contempt for we all will stand before God's judgment seat sounds like he's contradicting himself right Jesus does the same he says do not judge but then he says this stop judging by mere appearances but instead judge correctly or in some verses judge righteously okay Paul Jesus what is it what does this judging actually mean? And why are you saying it here and now in, verse, in chapter 7, verse 1? Why are you saying this? What do you mean by this? Let me give you the message version. Don't pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's the whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. Does it? change once you drop that word judge and take it out because let's just put this really clearly judge is an english word if you haven't figured that out it's not the word jesus used it's the way we translate what he says but here he's actually quite intent if you go back to the way it was then The Pharisees, obviously, were the ones he was pointing to. You're quick to point out what your fellow brothers and sisters are doing. Why aren't you looking at yourself? You're actually playing the part of God. There's a reason we've got a temple here. God's the judge, not you. So when you start using that critical spirit, and that's the key word, critical spirit, I find it amusing. I, I I counsel a lot of people. And, 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 and sometimes it's interesting what people do get upset about. A lot of it is how people come down on them so hard. But then I see that same people coming down hard on other people. And I pull them up and say, you're doing the same thing that you're, are you not seeing, you don't like to be treated this way, then why are you treating people that way? And this is where Jesus is really kind of honing in on this. John Stott says it like this, the command to judge not is not a requirement to be blind. We should actually be holding people accountable. Paul in 1 Corinthians is saying, hey, those amongst you need to be held accountable. You need to call out something when it's wrong, but rather be generous about it and renounce our presumptuous ambition to be God. Echoing NT Wright, John Stott hits it right, right on the nail. Some of us like to play God. So when it comes to judging, we hammer it. Like Angelo, we see all the wrongs around us, but aren't looking inwardly and seeing the wrongs that might be happening inside of us. It's interesting. Jesus didn't call us to judge. He called us to love. We're supposed to be a blessing to people around us. Can we say that that's the way we as the big church have been? Sure, we have. But we have not as well. That's the challenge for us. Jesus is hitting this hard And those that would have been listening would have been sitting there going, ooh, ouch. Ouch. Billy Graham, I've shared it before, but he says it so well. God the Father judges. God the Spirit convicts. God the Son loves. The only one we're called to be is like Jesus. Not like the Father, not like the Spirit, but like Jesus big challenge we want to step up and be more like the father but there is more to this verse there is a lot more to this verse and it's not just directed to those who judge harshly when you read this in the niv there's this verse six that just kind of seems out of place right you're talking about judging then it comes to dogs and pearls and pigs what, what's that got to do with judging do not give dogs what is sacred do not throw pearls to your pig to your pigs if you do they'll trample them under their feet and then t- turn and tear you to pieces what's that got to do with what's going on here have you ever thought about it you know you're looking at that going uh, how does that fit with judging there i'm uh, uh speck sawdust yeah okay, i can get that but This is the message version. Don't be flipped with the sacred. Banter and silliness give no no honor to God. Don't reduce holy mysteries to slogans. In trying to be relevant, you're only being cute and inviting sacrilege. That helps us understand a little bit, but we still don't know what it means in context. Right? It's this. It's not about who who you judge. It's not even about the actions that you're judging. What Jesus is trying to get at is very simply this. How you judge. This is the core of this whole passage. And he highlights it at the end by saying, hey, okay, you know, you can judge harshly, but those of you who will just kind of spout these nice little slogans, WWJD. We turn it into a marketing slogan when we sell it. What would Jesus do? Those are the pithy slogans that he's saying, those of us are judging harshly and those of us are just being flippant about judging you've got to be really discerning you've got to be discerning how you are judging so he's not just giving those who are judging harshly a hard time he's also kind of saying hey those of you around, uh, going around not judging and just kind of letting things go or just throwing these bland, silly slogans let me give you a heads up it, 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 it's actually serious here but you need to discern how you are judging. In Proverbs 9, 8, kind of sums up what Jesus is trying to say here. It says this, so don't waste your time on a scoffer. All you'll get for your pains is abuse. But if you correct those who care about life, that's different, they'll love you for it. Discern who you're talking to. When it comes to judging, you know what? I can go up to anybody and tell them they're wrong. How's that gonna work? How does it work with you? If someone stopped you on the streets and said, you're going to hell! Or you shouldn't be wearing that. You get them knocking on your door sometime. How do you react to that? But if a friend came to you and said, dude, between you and me, just, you shouldn't do that. You might get defensive. You might react. But deep down, maybe he has a point maybe one of our local MPs I'm having a conversation with him a while back and I'll say to him why don't you come and visit our church oh I'm afraid of your church what do you mean you're... oh there's a guy there who keeps coming to my office and shows me photos of aborted fetuses and says you're voting for this if that's one guy what the rest are you going to do to me and I'm like why do we do that we're there to scare people does, does that work for you? Should I come to your home in your palatial homes and show you you know a, a picture of what a squalid slump looks like in Manila? Would that help you uh, maybe reduce how much you're spending does that Does that work for you? So what do we do it to others? Why? That's where Jesus is getting at. Stop this. Judging is, is serious business. That's why it's up to the Father. That doesn't hold us back from keeping each other accountable. That's why we called the church. We are called to hold each other accountable. Jesus is not saying, hey, stop holding each other accountable. Actually, no. You, you need to hold each other accountable. You know, if there's someone amongst us that thinks abortion is right and one thinks that abortion's wrong, I, I think in that sense it might be good to have a healthy discussion about the whys and why nots. But to just go out and start. We don't react well. Why, why, why do you do that? Why do we do that? Don't waste your time on a scoffer. All you'll get is abuse. But correct those who care about life. They'll love you for it. Jesus was tired of seeing how the Pharisees were representing God. And there are times in which I imagine today, if he were to walk our earth and walk amongst us, he might say the same things to us. Our challenge is, maybe we've got to stop being like Angelo's and be more like Vicentio's. trying to help people who are in all sorts of weird and crazy places and positions and ask our worship team to come up it's not an easy sermon to kind (laughs) of cap off with a big hurrah It's not something that I can walk away thinking, yes, I nailed that one. But sometimes God does need to give us a little bit of a push and say, hey, I can't change the world. I just want to change you. He says that to me. He says that to you. Where are you at? Do people around you see you as or avoid you across the road when they see you? Are you, Angelo, that has such a strong sense of righteousness but maybe aren't strong enough to look at yourselves? We, the church, are called to be like Vincentio, to rule justly but generously, just as generous as our Lord was when he gave his life. For us. Father God, as we lay ourselves before you help us as your people to be righteous in this area. It's not about just being right. It's not about proving a point. Lord, it's about you, Jesus. And your call to us to love, just as you love us. And if and if Good Friday can have any meaning, it must be that. A sacrifice that was attended by just a half dozen people. There were more people that saw your miracles, but yet only a few saw your death, and that was the greatest miracle. That was your greatest act. Sometimes we are so caught up in ourselves, Lord. Challenge us, Father, as your people, to love as you love us. And let us leave the judging to the Father. In Jesus' name. We're so blessed.